Before commencing this episode, we would like to let you know that this content contains information regarding death and mourning. Short Latina, want to start us off? Yes. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, this is Short Latina. Welcome to another episode of Nerdy Latinas podcast. Um, today, we welcome back Michael Villarreal. He is the founder of Semillas Counseling. And today he's joining us to discuss the topic of grief and mourning. And we off the air, we talked about how this is a huge topic. And we don't um, pretend to know everything about the topic and we don't pretend to explore everything about the topic in this one episode but we do feel that we would like to have that conversation especially because we it's the anniversary of uh when we uh sheltered in place and there was a lot of loss in different ways um so welcome back michael hi <laughs> thank you for having me again um it's always a pleasure to hear you both and I'm happy to be here and join the conversation. Yeah, and before we get started, I pulled off pulled up um, definitions because of grief and mourning and um, grief. I'll I'll def, you know read the definition. Grief is deep sorrow, especially that caught especially that caused by someone's death. Um, and mourning, uh, feel of or feel or show deep sorrow or regret. And that regret caught me off guard. Um, I was like, what do you mean regret? Regret of what? Um, and, you know, I just wanted to start off with definitions because um, it is the, the, the point that I was trying to make deep sorrow. And I don't know. I think that's a very simplified definition. I don't think that we all feel that deep sorrow right away. What do you guys think? I would like Michael to respond first. <laughs> to kind of, kind of gauge what you think, Michael. I mean, do you agree with those definitions? I think it, it's all within context of what we might be describing. So like if I'm thinking about a, a grief because of a job loss, right? Or a grief because of how life has changed as a result of COVID, or I'm thinking about grief and sorrow as a result of the loss of a loved one. So, I mean, they all carry some level of emotional distress, but then how I'm impacted and the sorrow or the pain that comes with that, you know, can be very different. You know, I, I may have a grief because I've left that job and I miss those friends, but if someone has passed and they're not physically with us anymore, then I, cre- I have a, this pain that I'm carrying with me. So it it fluctuates and it changes because of those circumstances. I was wondering if you guys wanted to talk a little bit about some of the losses that we've experienced this year, uh, just to opening it open it up a little bit. Um, because I mean, we it's you know we're doing this episode, um, and I don't want it to come out of the blue to people that like, well, there is this heavy and like, what the hell? Um, <sighs> but um, so this episode's coming out after Mother's Day. And after uh, the episode uh, where we discussed uh, about uh, Adam Toledo um, and the loss of the neighborhood, right? And so we wanted to give tools to and a platform to have a conversation about mourning and loss and grief. And so it's been a year since shelter in place. 
what are some of the things that you guys have experienced loss, um, not specific to death or loss of a loved one, but loss in general? I think I'll begin with this one. Um, the biggest loss was definitely uh, social interaction with, you know, it. for me, it's not even more so interacting with people I do know. It's more so interacting with people I don't know. Like just seeing people. Um, so the, there was a loss of communication. There was a loss um, of interaction with family, which was really tough. <laughs> Uh, especially like the frequency because my family were all like piled up on top of each other all the time um, and so that was really difficult and those are really really tough things to you know adjust to um, when things felt so sudden at that moment and just so extreme um, but looking back at it it was it was a nice pause mm-hmm. how about you what Michael? about you Michael yeah, I, I do share that social interaction and that those family dynamics that that's something that was a big loss for me. But then, you know, it sounds like I'm speaking of a place from privilege of like just being able to go to work and then just being able to see other people, you know, just walking around and being in community. And I think um, that was a big loss in terms of, you know, I didn't even really experience it until maybe May where I was like, mm. damn. I really miss just <laughs> getting out of my house, going to go get gas and put gas in my car and being <laughs> upset because there's traffic. <laughs> you know, it's, you know it's, it's odd how life has completely shifted as a result of what happened, but, yeah. or what's continu- still continues to happen. But I think, you know, it came in very different waves. And then as the holidays took place, it's like those rituals that you have in your family are a big sense of loss for me. I think, I don't know, I really miss, and we're talking about Mother's Day coming up, right? Mother's Day for me last year was not at all what it's like this year. And we were impacted by COVID and we didn't lose anyone, but we we had family members that were very sick. And so that were in the hospital and sort of, grieving sort of uh, sort of what we thought as anticipatory grief at the time because we were thinking they weren't going to come out mm-hmm. on the other side of COVID and so wow. that was it's very triggering as even I'm thinking and talking about it now with you so yeah, yeah. I my loss was a loss of friendships um, and not because um, they passed but because it was such a time of disconnect socially um, where I noticed that friends that weren't, you know, keeping up with me and how are you doing and that didn't show care. I, I noticed that it, there was just no need for us to be friends anymore. And that was a loss. Important to me to acknowledge that we weren't friends anymore. Um, so I, I suffered quite a few losses of friendship um, who were close friends and now are Facebook friends, <laughs> um, you know, and that's a form. Did you put them on a timeout or did the relationship really just change? For it you? just changed. And I think, and I think it really came down when I was planning for my wedding. Uh, for the listeners that don't know, I, I got married. Um, and- hey, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And I was she planning. Looks beautiful. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I could put up a picture of me with my mask on social media. I have one. Um, but I, I was thinking of like, you know, these, who, who are the people that matter to me that I want them to know? 
And then I realized like, yeah, these people have not been part of my life for so long. I think I need to let them go. And that was a sense of loss of, of the friendships I had with them. I also experienced the loss of uh, freedom because uh, there was nowhere to go. I would, I would go to my local CVS just to walk around and look at it. <laughs> it, was, it was really sad. And I would buy all the plants and they knew he was a crazy plant lady. I would buy all the plants because they were killing them and I felt really bad. Um, it was just, it was, it was a really crazy time. I don't know. Uh, but that was my outing for the day going to CVS. I mean, I would make any excuse to go outside, honestly, grocery store, especially, but I did also at the beginning have a big paranoia, um, about going out, but Mm -hmm. in talking about that, you know, we're talking about loss. So we're talking about, you know, these I wouldn't say smaller losses, but um, a different scale of loss versus, you know, losing a loved one. Michael, could you perhaps explain to our listeners what's going on in our brains cognitively when we experience loss and how perhaps give us um, examples of scales of different loss? Sure. I, um, I, I think when we think about what happens for an individual when they experience loss, you know, there's studies around stages of grief and it just keeps evolving as we evolve as individuals. You know, at first they're thinking that an, an individual might go through a stage of shock or denial um, and, and perhaps uh, really not be able to come to terms with, with the loss. So suddenly they're just kind of numb to it. Um, and then at some point, these stages are not linear. So you can just jump from one to the other or experience both of them or multiple stages at once. So we might go into a sense of shock or denial. Then where it's coupled with some sense of guilt and pain that people might experience. Then you start to feel that sorrow. Um, and then sometimes we go into some form of anger and we start to really kind of uh, become lost. This, this guilt and pain fuel some of the anger, but then that fuels a further depression that people might kind of go through and experience some sense of loneliness, then they're reflecting even more. So as I said, said those, a couple of those, they might jump back and forth. So I might become really depressed. And then the more depressed I become, I become angry. And I want to really kind of um, lash out at either my loved ones or a system that's kind of uh, hurt us. So we've kind of looked for places to put some, direct some of that pain. So for example, if we're upset because of uh, someone that's lost tragically, unexpectedly by like perhaps a drunk driver or something like that, we kind of want to think about like, well, what was the law doing to help keep us safe? And what it, how, why isn't the police doing something about this? Or why isn't this individual in jail? So we kind of really go back and forth between these stages. Um, but we know that at some point, people will go through what we call, consider an upward turn. They go from all of those negative feelings into more of a, a sense of overall well-being. Um, they're able to kind of move through the, the sense of loss into a sense of perhaps hopefulness or acceptance that this person is no longer with us, and they bargain all of those things. So they can go back and forth. But we are really emotional beings that are triggered by anniversaries of when people pass away were triggered by um you know just memories that we have with that individual so we can go back and forth from these stages 
at any given point. So you might think, you know, it's linear and well, you know, well, you should be done grieving is often what I hear people say. Well, no, I don't think, I think we, we're kind of evolving to a life without this individual anymore physically. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, you said like the length of, of how long it takes to somebody to mourn. Would you say that you're never done mourning? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we are always in a constant state of memory of that individual. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, short Latina, even before this episode, she asked me, I, I recently lost my grandmother at the beginning of April and it is a very recent loss and it, and it's, it is very difficult. However, she was asking me, she's like, are you sure? Are you okay? Like, can you do it? And I was like, yeah, I can do it. Um, and then, uh, more recently, um, a good, uh, a friend of mine from college overdosed. And so just talking about mourning, like, and even with like, um, my past experience with mourning, like Joe Latina, when you asked the question, does mourning ever stop? I just feel like it never does. Like you said, Michael, it just feels, um, I had a, a therapist who explained mourning, mourning to me in a way that I really liked. Um, she explained mourning to me, um, within, she used, um, a, a metaphor where of a, of a circle in a box and the circle um, represents mourning, right? And, and sometimes um, you, when you mourn, you feel overwhelmed. And so that, that circle expands, right? In that box and you feel overwhelmed. But sometimes you don't feel overwhelmed. And so that, that circle is really small. Needless to say, the mourning is always there or say that, that you know, that grief, that sorrow is always there, but sometimes it feels like it's more overwhelming at times than others. Um, and I feel like that's just how it is always. Um, I feel like I always have that circle in that box where it's always expanding and, and you know, decreasing in size. Mm. What, what can we say to people when they want to rush or mourning? Or, or I don't know, I don't know if anybody's experienced this of like, come on, it, it's been like, it's been two years, get, get on with your life. Or mm -hmm. what do you say to people that maybe are a little insensitive to your loss? I think that's around the time where, I mean, typically someone's, you know, there is no typical framework of when you should be done grieving or experiencing loss. But if you're experiencing significant distress as a result of the loss, they say that it's typically around six to eight weeks after that person has passed, that if it's still impairing your ability to kind of function, meaning going to work, being in relationships and engaging in your own self-care, then perhaps it's time to kind of seek some support. And so I think the sensitive way or the mm -hmm. diplomatic way of saying this to someone is, you know, I noticed that you've been struggling. Is there anything that I can do or help get you paired up with someone that can help you cope with this. This is very difficult. It's a difficult, heavy loss. And so to do that in a way that's sensitive is, is absolutely key because if you can say, well, come on, it's about time. You should be moving. You know, it's been two months. Well, it's all in context, right? Of how this individual passed. I mean, it could take years to recover from that. 
Mm -hmm. You said it's all with context. It's making me feel of the loss of my grandfather who passed four years ago um, and he passed in, in Mexico, in Mexico. And looking back at, it was, it was a loss because I remember my grandfather and I grew up with, with him until I was nine. However, part of the loss that I felt or the grief, it was almost like close, more closely related to the fact that I couldn't go and see him because I'm DACA and I couldn't say goodbye. It's like, not only did I lose somebody I love, but I can't say goodbye to them. And that amplified it. What are some of the things that can help us heal, not faster, not expedite the healing process, but kind of really understand our grief? I came to the question of like, okay, how do I then grieve if I can't say goodbye? And how do I move on? So I think it was just it, for those that cannot say goodbye to their loved ones. And right now with COVID, there was a lot of people that couldn't um, say goodbye, right? Because of <clears throat> hospital restrictions and, and regulations. So how do you move on when you cannot say goodbye to your loved one? I, I appreciate what you're describing. I think that for some, the ritual of saying goodbye is a form of many different ways, whether it's... Um, a memorial service or going to a wake or the actual funeral. Um, and I think what I'm hearing you say, it's se severely impacted your ability to go there and that impacted the process. I think for many people or families that were impacted by COVID, I mean, you know, they weren't able to say goodbye to their loved ones. They weren't even able to know if the, that individual was identified, you know, for some cities that were severely impacted like New York. And so I'm just kind of thinking about, well, you know, there was, mass casualties as a result of COVID and the impact that had. Um, but I think we all look for a process to kind of go through for our healing. And so, you know, within the Latino culture, we're also kind of thinking about like the novena, like the novena serves a really big ritual for many families to kind of come mm -hmm. together and process together and go through their healing process and whatever they might be experiencing. So one person can be in severe angst and grief and the next person can have a little bit more context for what their experience is that can be completely different. Um, and it's all based on the relationship that they had with the individual that passed. So um, you might say, well, you might look over at a, in a regular service and might say, well, why is this person crying and this one is not? It's I believe it's sometimes within context of that relationship of like, yeah. they don't really see them as an important person in their life. And so it was hard for them to kind of, you know, express their emotion in the same way the other person, but there is no right and wrong way to grieve, I think. I yeah, if... that answers my question. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask, is there a wrong way to grieve? You just said there's not, but is there? I, I think that there's avoidance behaviors that end up becoming viewed as the wrong way to grieve. I think we might see people go into a numbing or avoidance pattern of like substance use, disorganized eating. They might go into uh, gambling, at-risk sexual behaviors, something to kind of detach themselves from experiencing or expressing their form of pain or sorrow that they experience. I mean, we do that in all different ways. We might work excessively. We might, you know, watch TV too much, binge watch shows that we shouldn't be watching. I mean, but that's a way to cope. Um, yeah. 
But I didn't want to ignore the, the fact that you started to have a reaction or you started to express some emotion as you were describing your, your grandmother and your friend that recently passed. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we can absolutely. I don't want this to be a therapy session. So you can. <laughs> that is going to be the title of this episode. Sure, Latina's therapy session. <laughs> I was just kind of wondering can we, can, I guess, if you're thinking about, we have different forms of grief, right? So we have anticipatory grief where we anticipate that an individual, as they're getting older, they might have some form of illness that you can kind of say, you know, I don't know when, but it's coming. And then we have someone who dies unexpectedly. And that's a very different form because you may have had a strained relationship with this individual recently. Maybe, I I don't know the context, but I'm saying in in general, someone might say, well, you know, I just remember the last conversation I had with that person. It didn't go well. And so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of sitting with that. And so every passing has a different context. And I think we end up really kind of replaying the last moments we were with that person or what it was like at the end of their life. And it, it's hard to kind of process. And so I'm just wondering, do you know what, what? Kind of, what kind of got triggered for you as you started to talk about Yeah, it? absolutely. I think, um, so like you were saying, you have that anticipatory grief, which was the situation with my grandmother. Um, my grandmother was a two-time breast cancer survivor. And this third time around, she developed cancer in her liver. And so we didn't know how advanced um, the cancer was. And so, um, you know, as weeks went by, she became very ill. And like you said, it was an anticipation. And even when it came, it felt like the end of the world. And then with my, my friend's death, that was very unexpected. So I had, you know, the experience with both. And I think, you know, like you said, like, that is what you do. Like when you, when you lose someone, you think about the times you spent with them, especially the last moments you spent with them. And I think what was most hurtful was how um, the pandemic impacted my last year that I had with my grandma she passed away at the hospital and we weren't able to visit her. Um, And so we were only able, when I say we, I mean my family, my sisters and my father, we were only able to communicate with her through the phone and and via FaceTime when we got really lucky. So I think what was most hurtful was just the lost moments that I felt like I, you know, that I didn't get to have because of the pandemic. And I know she was lonely because a lot of our elderly people were extremely lonely during this pandemic. And I know she definitely was one of those people that was going through that sense of loneliness. And I really do wish the circumstances were, I really wish the circumstances were different, obviously, but that's what makes me cry because it is very recent. And I, like you said, I still don't function well. I remember the first week my grandma passed. I went to work because, because that's how I coped. I was like, I'm just going to go about my day. Oh my God, it took me forever to do anything. Mm-hmm. I probably got, I was like 30% effective that day. And so it was just um, really difficult under the COVID circumstances 
And just like, you know, the, the last year that I felt was like robbed from me and my grandma. What was she like in her life to you? My grandma was such a strong woman. She was very strong, very independent. She was generous. She was a leader and she was a giver. So my grandma, she actually worked. She ran a soup kitchen in Pilsen uh, at a Lutheran church called St. Matthew's. And she was the one busting it in that kitchen. Like she was the (laughs) one who was, if there was one thing that my grandma was, is that she knew how to give directions, you know, like, but she would tell you to do something and she would say it with such a firm voice that you you wouldn't even, you would just go do it. Like, (laughs) because she was so firm and assertive and she was also just very, she was religious and she was, she was a believer, you know, you know, encomiéndate a Dios or just like very, and also just um, very caring for us. Like always telling us she's praying for us and that she's wishing the best for us and to not overwhelm yourself, you know. I feel like oftentimes, especially with like how fast um, life feels like it's moving right now, especially living in a capitalistic society, um, you know, she would always just like remind you to like, take a step back, like relax, like life is, it's going to keep on going. Like, you know, she would always just remind you to take a step back. And she was a sarcastic woman. She would tell me I couldn't take a joke. She would tell me I was too (laughs) sensitive. I was like, grandma. So I don't know. And that's, I, I missed that a lot about her. So every single time, like I get a little upset. I know that she wouldn't want me to be upset because because when I had, like I said, um, mourning was something that happened to me frequently in life. And so when I had lost loved ones in the past, I remember her telling me, you know, you're still here. So you have to live your life. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that. And, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I take from her, like keep on going because, you know, I have a piece of her within me. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that some of those values you carry forward for yourself? Could you rephrase the question? Or what are some of the values that your grandmother had that you see in yourself and the way you you are becoming you? Yeah, absolutely. I I would consider myself a very strong woman (laughs) and assertive and mandona. Um, (laughs) I was going to say... I feel like you described yourself with your grandmother, but keep going. (laughs) Absolutely. Those are probably the top things, like just the strengths and just, um, I think the strength and also the humbleness. My grandma was very humble. She had good means, but my grandma was never like flashy and showy. Like, no, it wasn't about that. I remember my grandmother, before TikTok was invented, my grandma had her beauty hacks. And she was like, mira, mija, si te quieres hacer el maquillaje, solamente necesitas, necesitas un lipstick. And she would literally put lipstick on her, on her lips, put lipstick on her cheeks. That was her blush. Lipstick on her eyelids. That was her eyeshadow. And she goes, look, you're looking fabulous. Like you do not need all of these, like all of these products. She goes, you just need one product. Uh, and she was just very innovative too in that way. And I think I took that from her. It's just like making the most out of what you have because that's what she always did whether it was raising you know my dad and my uncles 
or making the most out of what she had at the soup kitchen. You know, she was always making the best out of the situation. Sounds like a very special woman to you. Yeah, she was. And this one, this episode is actually going to be dedicated to her short Latina. Of course. Mm. <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I, I think this episode is dedicated to everybody that we've lost. Like, I mean, not just yourself, but worldwide. Like we said, it's this episode is about loss. And we want to commemorate that. We want to acknowledge that, like, it's been a really tough fucking year. Um, yes. And I mean, I see you today and you were describing your, your grandmother. I was like, that's how it does. Check, check, check. <laughs> for real. I mean, um, you have a passion for the community. And I think those are the things that she really placed in you and passed down to you. That was her inheritance. Aside from her beauty it, tips. It, it was, it was. Absolutely. And she actually, she lived, she lived in Pilsen right in front of Harrison Park. And so it just really devastates me because like, I see her in everything. And also my grandmother, she was a gardener. So she had this beautiful garden in her backyard in Pilsen. And so when I see nature now, like it just, it makes me feel close to her because she loved nature so much. And I didn't value it that much when I was with her, even though she would always, she would always tell me what, I'm like, what's this grandma? What's this? And she would always go into detail. She was very knowledgeable on that kind of, on, on that kind of stuff. She definitely had a green thumb, but now that's something that I'm thankful that I still have around um, like nature to remind me of her and the times we used to spend together. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Thanks. But Thank you for sharing her. <laughs> Do you want to mention her name? Yes, her name is Maria Luisa Leal. And she was a beautiful woman. Uh, she, she was the mother of four. Uh, she had nine grandchildren. And she, she was absolutely amazing. And she's very, very, very missed. Mm. But with that, I actually want to take us on a break, y'all. I need to clean my boogies. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll be back. (laughs) We'll be back. back here with our amazing guest Michael Villarreal and Shirt Latina. Um, we were discussing uh, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> we were discussing we were talking about the definitions of grief and mourning and I shared a little bit about my personal experience with mourning recently. Um, and so we kind of want to bring it back and Michael, we really wanted you to expand on stages of grief to give our, our listeners a better context on those stages and how to identify them. So there are some different thoughts around how many stages there are, but I will go through the, the five that most people know. So the five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. 
the five principles. And I'll talk a little bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, what does what what but... bargaining look like? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like going to Nagara. Yes. <laughs> you're going to the Mega Mall and you're... <laughs> I'm so bad. So, no, but go ahead, Michael. So the denial stage is a little bit more of you're, you're just not admitting to what your experience is. So you're hiding your emotions. You're kind of burying what you're experiencing at that time. Um, so you might hear people say that this isn't happening to me, that, that that's wrong. So if we're talking about grief in terms of like someone someone passing away, if you disclose, the, you advise them that someone has passed away, they might just say, no, 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 that didn't happen. You're, you're wrong. You're wrong. And they just, you know, continue to be in that state of shock or denial. And that's sometimes coupled with anger. So it's just like, you might hear them, you know, scream and yell and be upset because they just can't process it. So that's this, this sense of denial. Um, or it might be that, you know, someone who has experienced a loss, they might not go home because they don't, if they go home, they'd have to face the fact that their partner is no longer there, or they'd have to face, you know, the family members who are then going to remind them that this person is no longer there, physically here with us. So um, that's part of this stage of denial. Um, the other one is I just mentioned the anger, um, you know, uh, I'm so pissed off. Why didn't he take a better care of himself? Or I'm upset. The anger could be direct not at just the person who's deceased, but also at a system. So they might be upset at, for example, um, we've recently had a lot of community violence and community shootings, right? So if mm -hmm. they might be upset at the system, right? So it might be the police system, the city council, they might be upset at the community for not doing something. So it depends on where the anger is directed. And they might be even angry at themselves. I can't believe I didn't intervene or do something. I should have looked for more resources for my loved one who is terminally ill. And I might've been able to help them if I had just kept them more regulated on their sugar. If I had done something to help them take get a better care of their health, I might've been able to do something. So that fuels the anger sometimes. Okay, so, so we the, have deny, anger. <laughs> yes, and then in terms of the bargaining, it's sort of like these um, what if statements that come up for people as they're mm -hmm. sort of kind of reconciling what happened. So if only if I'd spent more time with them, uh, they would have been around here longer. It's almost some of the anger that's there too, but it's also kind of reconciling. But then it's also a sense of they're coming to terms that this person has passed. So it's no longer, I'm no longer an angry in an anger state, I'm no longer denying, but I'm also reconciling, yeah, they did pass. Mm. And it's sort of coupled sometimes with guilt or shame or sorrow, but they're, they're admitting that this person's passed. Because in, in anger, I'm really upset with the system. I'm not even talking about my emotional distress that this person's gone. And, and to remember that they don't all occur in isolation. They might be occurring at the same time. So I'm bargaining and I'm upset at the same time. So maybe... yeah, and you could. I, I feel like I've seen that when people are angry at God, like you took them too mm. soon, or they were too young, or you know they had such a promising future ahead of them, and um, like I, I've seen that. I've 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 seen witness people being angry at God or a higher power, which is something we haven't talked about. 
today yeah. is just sort of like the how that might be directed towards spirituality or religion for many folks and then sort of I don't know what to make of this now I don't believe in God anymore um I've had clients who have experienced serial losses throughout their life um and so as they sort of progress throughout their lifetime it's you know they might lose a loved one a sibling then it becomes they lose their parents and then the more that that happens the more they start to have these existential questions come up and they're thinking about well is there really a God? If there is, this pain wouldn't be occurring. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. And I think when, especially when it comes to mourning, everyone, you know, religion plays a different role in everyone's, uh, you know, grieving process. Not like I haven't spoken enough on my situation, but like myself, I'm not the most religious person. Um, however, my mother is. And I would never take that away from her. That's how she grieves. That's, you know, out of respect and just um, mere decency. You know, I uphold that for her, but that doesn't necessarily help me when I'm mourning. That doesn't bring me comfort. Oftentimes I just feel like religion serves as a comfort for her and it brings her those words that she needs to hear at that time that don't Mm -hmm. necessarily give me the same effect. But that's very, that's very interesting that you, you, that you bring that up, Michael, because I had completely forgotten about that, um, you know, how religion plays a role in mourning and sort of to speak a little bit more about how religion um, played a role in these recent deaths that I experienced. So my, my grandmother, she was Christian. And so um, she had um, a very traditional Christian burial. And my friend who passed away, she was Jewish. And so it was a completely different ceremony that I had never experienced prior to her passing. And it was something really beautiful. I just kind of want to mention two things that I thought really beautiful from the Jewish service. I personally think that Christian and Catholic um, wakes and funerals are very, like, obviously it's a very sad time, but I just think it's a very, like, I don't even know what word to like dark, dark Mm -hmm. service. Um, But that's the, it's different for everyone. Um, And I think there's two things I thought were very beautiful at my friend's services that, and I know sometimes they do this in Mexico where they put shovelfuls, like you bury, they, they, they said that you, uh, they don't want strangers burying their loved ones. So everyone literally puts three shovelfuls of dirt onto her grave. And then I thought that was very beautiful. And then the other thing was um, at the end of the ceremony, the family family and friends uh, lined up in two lines as the as the family like uh, walked like in a procession between the, the 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 two lines, and and we were we said a prayer together, you know, giving our condolences, our grief, wishing them well, wishing them to heal. Um, and I thought that was very, a very like positive and beautiful way to end the service, you know, giving love and, and support. And with that, I kind of, Michael, I kind of want you to perhaps touch upon, you know, coping mechanisms for people. You know, we discussed that sometimes um, some can go to unhealthy coping mechanisms. I'm, I was hoping if you, you could share some healthy coping mechanisms with with our listeners because unfortunately loss while it may not have affected us 
in recently or in past years, um, losses is always there and it's inevitable. Yeah. And if it's okay, just before I do that, I just want to mention the last two stages that you asked. Oh, yes. Absolutely. No, it's okay. Breathing, yeah. so, which... where are you going? Go ahead. <laughs> so the, the first one is, uh, I'm sorry, the, the fourth one fourth is one. depression um, and isolation. So we see people really kind of move into that direction of feeling uh, a lot of pain, sadness, just emotional distress, and then kind of really isolating themselves from individuals. And so that's one stage of grief. And then the other one is acceptance where they're kind of finding a way to kind of live or experience life um, in coming to terms with that person no longer being with us. So it, it can sometimes then go into that upward turn that I talked about before, where they're sort of um, being able to kind of talk about that person without becoming emotional. Um, or being upset in the way that they might have when they were in the denial or anger stage. Um, so in, in talking about effective coping skills for most people, I mean, it ranges and it's all depending on that individual. It, you know, the way they cope with grief and loss now is always going to be measured on how they coped with other things in their life before. So when they lost their job or when they um, broke up with a partner or something like that, it's going to really help them determine how do they cope with this loss now um it's not the same loss but it's it's somewhat going to inform how they use their coping skills of like do I reach out to friends do I know what community resources are available to me will I talk to a mental health professional or even my doctor to let them know I've been feeling really isolated and sad or you go to the doctor and the doctor's like I noticed you you gained 15 pounds since I saw you last well yeah, I've been emotionally eating because I experienced this loss and I don't know how to cope with it. So um, some of the effective ways could be in sort of reaching out for support, kind of being mindful or practice of mindfulness. Do I really understand what I'm experiencing and feeling with my emotions? And do I share that with other people? Um, and, you know, everyone has a range of coping skills and you find the ones that work for you. You know, I could say, somebody uh, says you should be running and um I don't know journaling every day and crafting and then you're gonna be like none <laughs> of those work for me good find the ones that do you know mm. um so we all have different ways to kind of cope with things but you know those are ones we all know that the ineffective ones are sort of like the substance use disorganized eating um gambling I don't know um avoidance behaviors like TV watching, binge watching, that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. question: mm -hmm. Can you skip a stage of grief, or are you? Is the healthy weight is to go through all of them, or can you skip from? No, I mean it doesn't. Yeah, you can certainly skip around, <laughs> or go, <laughs> yeah. go from one to the last one and then come back to anger. <laughs> For sure. I mean, as as anniversaries come up or new information comes up, like you might have discovered you know, that perhaps this person was, the, the deceased was cheating during their life and you didn't know about it, then you become going back and forth between those stages. So mm -hmm. any range of factors can kind of take, take part in that. 
Yeah. I was thinking we are coming to a close with our time with you. We really want to be cognizant of your time. We know it's Monday. Thank you so much for meeting with us. Um, sure, Latina. Did actually, Michael, we did ask you what makes you nerdy with your on your last time here with us, didn't we? Yeah, I yeah. think it's just mental health yeah. makes me nerdy. I like to- <laughs> <laughs> well. I want to leave the, the, our listeners with something else, short Latina, for a closing a closing question for, for Michael. If you have something. No, I was going to ask you if you had something off the top of your head. If not, we could come up with something right now. Oh, I was just going to, I always ask Michael to put, you know, mention his practice and, uh, you know, may, this is a free commercial. <laughs> this is your promo time. Okay. Yeah. Shine. Can I offer one last COVID skill? Yeah, absolutely. Which I, I forgot. So the last one I wanted to add is if you can kind of think about the first memories you have with that individual, as opposed to thinking about the last months or last time frame that you had with them. So for example, if I were asking you something that's about your friend or your grandmother, what's the first memory you have of them or short Latina of your grandfather? You know, what's the very first childhood memory that you have, as opposed to kind of always being stuck in the last six months that you knew that person physically. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, and that seems, we, we think about that in terms of what helps us retain those memories of those individuals, as well as music is a huge part because the music kind of really grounds us. So then when I want to kind of be celebrating that person, I can put on that song. Um, so about my practice. So it's Samia's counseling. <laughs> and we're lo- located in River North. We are still doing just virtual sessions, but we were transitioning to in-person within the next month or so as restrictions kind of get lifted. Um, and we specialize in couples and adults. And I don't know. We offer appointments six days a week. So and how can our listeners um, oh. how can our listeners find you? You can look us up on the intranet at samiascounseling.com. <laughs> um, and our phone number is 773-789-9775. And our intake coordinator can help you get set up. Absolutely. And we will have all that information in the episode description so that all of our listeners can have, have access to that information and check check out Semias Counseling. I can speak as someone who has been to Semias Counseling. Amazing, they work with you and they have affordable prices as for someone who, who's under their parents' insurance and they don't want to pay for my counseling. Bogus ass insurance companies. Anyway, Charlatina, do you want to sign us off? No. Well, thank you both for having me once again. I appreciate yeah, you both. Thank you, so thank you Michael, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. Please share us, review us, and send us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also like to thank our guests and Madera Once for allowing us to use their beautiful music for this episode. Please join us in the next episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. <laughs>